I want to invite you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to be giving our attention this morning today uh, to verses 8 to 13. It's uh, impossible, isn't it, to avoid the reality that there is a virus alive in the world today, and it is making some people, many people, sick. In the economy of God, churches are like human bodies, and like human bodies, churches get sick. In the economy of God, churches are like households. And like households, if one person gets sick, the infectious agent soon spreads from one to another to another to another. Now, now it so happens that there was a church that the Apostle Paul himself had planted in the city of Ephesus. And this church was not more than 10 years old when it became apparent that it had become infected with a spiritual virus. And this church was very sick. And since Paul was the one who had planted this church, it, it felt to him as if it were his own 10-year-old child that was afflicted with this sickness. And so he cared deeply about the health and the well-being of this church. And, and that, my friends, is the occasion for which Paul wrote his letters to Timothy. Timothy was on the ground in Ephesus. He'd been sent to address the crisis. He was there to provide treatment for this dear spiritual community. And God, in his goodness and mercy, inspired Paul to write these letters to Timothy so that we might have a prescription for the treatment and a plan for the prevention of our own spiritual pandemic. So let's continue to make our way through this very timely letter. I invite you to follow along as I read 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. And, and as an expression of our regard and respect and honor of God's word, let's stand together if you can and listen to this text written by the Apostle Paul. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified and not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain 
a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is God's pure, precious, powerful word. Let's pray together. We would ask, O oh Lord, that you might open our eyes to see wondrous treasures in the things that you've spoken to us by your word. We welcome the work of your spirit. We know that the work of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, has been accomplished. It is finished. There is great salvation. There is blameless, faultless, holy standing before you. There is full access into all the grace of which you would pour out upon your children. We would ask that by your spirit you might apply that precious, powerful work to each one of us today. Get glory, we ask. May we, may we know your power even though we're not in the same space. May we behold your glory even though we're not in the same space because we're beholding you in the truth of your word together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the main things that we learn from Paul's letters to Timothy is that churches can get sick. The reason God gave us the two letters to Timothy is because churches can get sick. Churches do get sick. Some, perhaps many churches, are sick. In this uh, overwhelming deluge of content we are flooded with daily regarding COVID-19. We're being instructed as to what to do and what not to do if we find ourselves to be symptomatic. I was at my clinic this last week for some physical therapy. I was met in the parking lot by a very friendly but very serious looking person wearing a yellow and orange vest that asked me many questions, such as, do you have a fever? Uh, do you have a persistent cough? Have you experienced shortness of breath? Infectious diseases are typically accompanied by symptoms. And so it is with the spiritual virus, that spiritual viruses that infect local churches. And prominent among the symptoms that were visible in the church in Ephesus were things such as disordered worship. They had swerved away from the truth about God as he has revealed himself in Scripture. They had assimilated perspectives and teachings that were in accordance with the culture. They had accepted distorted views of the gospel and views of God which aligned to their own liking. And since they did not then worship in truth, their worship was in vain. Paul had to admonish them to prayer and to 
intercession and supplication. Why? Because the church had become characterized by prayerlessness. And they were prayerless because their hearts were far from God. And so severe was the spiritual infection that some had actually renounced their faith. It, it had become apparent that they were not actually spiritual alive, but rather walking spiritual corpses. A second symptom was disordered relationships. Their gatherings were characterized by animosity and arguments over things that didn't even matter. They fought with each other. There were inappropriate expressions of masculinity and femininity. There were disrespectful and improper relational dynamics between generations, which we'll hear more about specifically in chapter 5. And widows, actually women in general, were marginalized in terms of care. And a third symptom which continued to plague the church in Ephesus with weakness and vulnerability was disordered governance. God's order and design regarding gender had been discarded. Unqualified individuals had been positioned in key leadership roles. And it is this symptom in particular, disordered governance, to which Paul gives his full attention in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And that's because governance, governance of the household of God, is essential to, and this is using today's vernacular, governance in the household of God is essential to flattening the curve of the outbreak of a spiritual plague in the household of God. Now, my goal this morning is to persuade you that in the economy of God, deacons, deacons play a crucial role in stemming the spread of spiritual viruses that may do great harm to local churches. Or to say it more positively, in the economy of God, deacons are crucial to the health of the household of God. Now, there's just plenty of confusion regarding who deacons are and what deacons do. Uh, In some churches, deacons are synonymous with elders or overseers. Deacons govern. Nothing happens without their consent. In other churches, deacons care for and maintain the church property. In other churches, deacons lead various ministry teams. One person is the deacon for the Sunday's tech team, and another person is the deacon for the Sunday setup team, and another person is the deacon for coffee and refreshments, and yet another person is the deacon for finances. In some churches, deacons are viewed as kind of a, a political form of of, a, of various branches of governance so that there's checks and balances over the pastors. And then some churches, probably many churches, maybe most churches, they don't even have deacons because the term no longer has meaning. They just simply hire paid staff to do whatever needs to be done. So what in the world is a deacon? And what is it that they are called to do that is so essential to the health and well-being of the household of God. Well, here's what we know 
about deacons according to 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. The first thing we know is that they are very much like overseers and elders. Immediately after describing the qualifications for overseers in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Paul says in verse 8, deacons likewise must be, and then he goes on to describe their qualifications. Overseers slash elders slash pastors and deacons are both God-given offices for governing the household of God. And in some very significant respects, they are alike. And the most remarkable likeness has to do with their qualifications. According to the rest of verse 8, like overseers, deacons must possess trustworthy character. 1 Timothy 3.8. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. In other words, deacons must be mature. Like overseers, they must prove that they have the maturity to govern beginning with themselves. Like overseers, they need to possess a certain gravity about them. They need to be truthful. They must be careful about what they say in different contexts. Someone who speaks very positively about something in one context, but then communicates frustration and disagreement about the same thing in another context, is speaking out of both sides of their mouth. People have a who have a habit of triangulating. That is, they express their unhappiness in relation to one party with a third party. And in so doing, they introduce suspicion and pass their discontent like a virus throughout the system. Double-tongued people are destabilizing to a community. They make churches sick. As do people who depend on alcohol, depend on alcohol, and depend on money for their peace and their joy. They are building on an exceedingly fragile foundation. And deacons, like overseers, are called to protect the church from that kind of thing, not contribute to it. Here's a second way that Deacons are very much like overseers. Deacons, like overseers, guard sound doctrine. How did the church in Ephesus get sick? Well, it got sick by the introduction and the acceptance of different doctrine. 1 Timothy 1, 3 and 4, we've read this several times, but... Again, Paul is admonishing his young apprentice here. He says, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. 
when when Ryan preached that text a few weeks ago, and he he just laid out this several examples of the most common, challenging, broadly accepted teachings of the cultural worldview in which we live and breathe today. And those things are like a deadly virus that threatens the spiritual health of the household of God. Friends, may the church in Ephesus serve us as a cautionary tale. Deacons like overseers, must be theologically astute. Deacons must be prepared to defend sound doctrine with clarity and courage. Listen to to 1 Timothy 3, verse 9. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So, like overseers, Deacons need to be, I tell people this a lot, uh, they, they need to be like Legolas, the elf in The Lord of the Rings. Legolas, the elf, he, he sensed danger before it appeared. Just had this sort of a sixth sense. And effective overseers and deacons have a theological sixth sense. They're, they're able to discern the presence of a dangerous theological virus before it's obvious to others. And the safety and the survival of the church depends on that. Thirdly, like overseers, deacons must have stability at home. There is an old movie called Ghostbusters. Um, it has this, has this really catchy theme song. Something strange in the neighborhood. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. Something weird and it don't look good. Who are you going to call? Ghostbusters. I mean, if there's something strange and weird going on, why do you call Ghostbusters? Because you know they're going to come. If there's trouble in your soul, who are you going to call? Who's going to come? Who can you count on? This is a serious, serious thing. Who are you going to call? Listen to 1 Timothy 3, 11 to 12. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. Why are those such necessary qualifications for deacons? It's because if the deacon cannot handle difficult, weird, strange challenges at home, how will they handle them anywhere else? If the deacon's household is out of control, who are you going to call? You're not going to call him. He's got his hands full at home. 
Someone may be a humble servant, but if their spouse or their kids have no boundaries, how can you be sure they'll protect the church from spiritual danger? Someone may be as sharp as a tack when it comes to Bible knowledge and theological acumen. They might be gifted, they might be well-trained, but if they are a perpetual, emotional, relational, financial, vocational roller coaster, that turbulence is not suddenly going to disappear, and then who are you going to call? You see, that's what's so crucial about governance over the household of God. Governance, governance is intended by God to proclaim the glory of the order and beauty and wisdom of God. Governance is intended to engender stability in the midst of crisis. Why are well-qualified deacons so crucial? Paul tells us in verse 13. For, or because, those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So, If a deacon serves well, what happens? They gain something. What do they gain? One, people respect them. They engender trust. They engender a sense among the people in the system that all will be well. Non-anxious, non-freaked-out leaders engender non-anxious organizations. And in the case of the local church, if a deacon serves well, what else happens? Well, that, that deacon's assurance that God is everything that he has promised to be, it's only going to increase. He becomes a stable, calm person. And that deacon isn't serving out of uneasiness and shame and walking on eggshells regarding his or her own relationship with Jesus. They are comfortable. They're comfortable in who God has made them to be. They are comfortable with God, with all that God has done in them and for them in Christ. And in spite of all that may be crumbling underneath them, they are comfortable with God and his providence, as Ryan said earlier, and all that God is doing. Friends, listen. This is true not only for those who govern the household of God. This is true. This gain is true. This gain is true for everyone who serves well. There, there is just an, an, a profound relationship between serving well, whether you have an office of serving or whether you are just a garden variety server. 
There is a profound relationship between serving well in Christ Jesus and the progress of one's spiritual maturity. People who serve well grow deeper in their faith. Here's a fourth thing. A a deacon's qualification for the office, the office of deacon, it, it comes, just like overseers, it comes before appointment. The reality of the crisis of COVID-19 exposes, it exposes the truth about what we have built our lives upon. Our fears expose that on which we are depending. In other words, COVID-19 is a, is a great test. We're being tested and the truest test of whether or not one is qualified to govern the household of God is, is what comes to the surface from out of our hearts in times of trouble. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 says, Let them also, just like elders, let them also be tested first. Then... After they've been tested, let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Testing takes time. It it takes some living of life. It takes time and, and it takes the experience of seasons of pressure before those deepest and darkest things residing within us will come to the surface. It's also important to remember that time is crucial in testing because sometimes there there are seasons that feel like everything's just out of control, but those seasons will pass. Those chapters come and go. So testing, it takes time. And in spite of the fact that the church in Ephesus was sick, God was working. God was doing a million things. He was refining a local church. He w- his engraving tool was shaping young Timothy for a a future of wise, seasoned pastoral leadership. And friends, I believe God was at work in Paul. Paul planted the church in Ephesus. Paul appointed the overseers and deacons he believed were qualified and called to govern that spiritual community. It's probably three years since that, that moment in Acts chapter 20 where Paul had that tearful farewell with the elders of the Ephesian church. And in just about three, five to, th- three to five years, <laughs> stuff happened. 
And just imagine what he must have felt as he learned that that church that he had planted was so very sick because the overseers and the deacons that he had appointed had proven to be unqualified. Imagine his sleepless nights. Imagine his gut-wrenching regret. Imagine the heartache of betrayal. Somebody like Alexander, who he said did him great harm. Imagine his shaken confidence on account of his poor judgment. Imagine his fight for faith. I can imagine it. But I'm so encouraged. I'm encouraged that <laughs> I'm not the only one who has laid hands on a leader too soon. I'm encouraged that even the Apostle Paul had to learn and grow from his failures. I'm encouraged that if Paul, if Paul had not missed on these, these initial evaluations and deployments, he, he wouldn't have had much to say to churches and elders and deacons about governance to the glory of God. And apart from this example of a sick church, we would not have this essential instruction on ordering and governing the household of God. We would not have a playbook for churches in trouble. And loved ones, perhaps most important, we would be tempted to misinterpret the word blameless at the end of verse 10. Blameless is not a reference to perfection of our performance, perfection of our leadership, perfection of our governance. It does not mean sinless. If it did, Paul would have been, tr he truly would have been the foremost of sinners as he refers to himself. No, no, blameless means humble and quick to turn, quick to repent, quick to trust Jesus again, in whom, by faith, we are counted holy and blameless and above reproach. God is in control. And he is doing a thousand things in and through every crisis. Even a sick church. Pay close attention. So, what do deacons do? <laughs> what differentiates them from overseers? Their goal is the same. Their goal is to take initiative and assert themselves for the spiritual good, the spiritual protection, the spiritual care of the people who make up the household of God. Their qualifications are nearly identical as overseers with one exception. A deacon is not required to be able to teach. Teaching is not forbidden, but feeding the flock is not a necessary part of a deacon's role. Instead, as the gospel grows, as the gospel spreads, 
as disciples are being made and multiplied, listen, we all understand this, things get complicated. Things become complex. And deacons come alongside the overseers in order to assist them in caring, in protecting, in keeping watch over the flock. And that is a serious role. Listen, when, when we started Emmaus Road Church six and a half some years ago, there were initially just two families. And then we had our first interest meeting in this room, and there were 35 adults. At our second meeting the next week, there were 36 adults and 11 children. Two elders, two overseers, that was enough. Three months later, there were more than 70 of us, including children. Now things were getting complex. When we started public gatherings at Sioux Falls Christian School, <laughs> things became exponentially complex. We needed someone in charge of setting up and taking down. We needed somebody who would be responsible for keeping track of our finances and paying our bills. We needed someone who would oversee all the technical, musical, the myriad of details of scheduling and so forth involved with a worship gathering. We needed more missional community leaders. We needed faithful competent, reliable, committed people. Church plants, I tell guys this all the time, they are a tractor beam for people with other agendas. We needed men and women in whom we could trust, with whom we were equally yoked. We were pulling in the same direction. Without them, oh my. Without them, there was no way, Ryan and I, Ryan was our second elder, and he was working full-time. There was no way that we could have possibly given our, our, our undivided attention to preaching and teaching and leading and protecting and caring and praying for the flock without help, without serious assistance. Today, just did a little mental inventory. We have 25 men and women who serve Emmaus Road Church, practically speaking, as deacons and deaconesses. And I'll tell you, we, we thank God for you. We could not do this without you. The household of God is governed by elders, overseers, and deacons. But there, loved ones, is a sense in which even if you do not have a particular office by which you serve in that capacity, everyone, every one of you, who follows Christ, is called to be a servant. That's what the word translated deacon means. We are called by Jesus to emulate the example of Jesus who did not come to be served, but to serve. 
We are called in union with Christ to bear the gospel fruit of servanthood. We are called and empowered by the grace of Christ to serve in the strength he supplies. We are called to do what Jesus is doing right now, building his church. And we are called to make progress in these things. And God willing, we will continue to make progress in becoming more Christ-like in our servanthood until the end. And so for the sake of the glory of God, proclaimed and exalted through the health and vibrancy of the household of God. Just two things I would exhort you to consider humbly doing. Please keep watch for symptoms of spiritual sickness. Make yourself aware of the false doctrines of the culture which the world proclaims and calls you to accept. Familiarize yourself with the truth of the doctrines, the sound doctrines of God. Jesus calls us to be in the world, but not of it. It's kind of, I guess it's a kind of self-quarantining, if you will, from gospel distortions and soul-crushing lies. And if you see qualifications for church governance, to which you fall short, please don't hang your head in shame or breathe some huge sigh of relief. Well, I guess that, I guess I don't have to worry about that. When, not if, you see signs of spiritual sickness in you. And here's the second thing. Repent and believe the gospel. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. Joined to Jesus by faith, you are blameless before God. Don't punish yourself. Jesus was punished for you. Appropriate the gospel. It's kind of a spiritual way of hygiene. Wash your hands. Wash your heart. Wash your heart daily in Christ Jesus. Trust all that he is for you. He is your righteousness and peace so that you might be a servant of God for the building up and the strengthening and the healing and the upholding of the household of God. Act that miracle. Live by faith. Serve this local church, the bride for which Jesus laid down his life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we entrust ourselves to your perfect life, your atoning death, your powerful life-giving resurrection. You have made us clean. You have healed us. By your stripes, we have been made whole. Now help us to continue to grow and walk with you faithfully. Pick us up on those days when we fall. Hold us fast. Keep us true to you. We love you, Lord. And give us a great, great love and care for the bride for which you gave your life, the local church, the household of God. 
get glory through us, we ask in your name. Amen.